I love that video. I, uh, that is awesome. I love that exercise. I love their reactions, their genuine reactions as they see themselves and see each other age that way, you know? Oh, you look so good, you know? Oh, you're beautiful. Neither one of them recoiled in horror, you know? I'm out of here. I'm not doing that, you know? We didn't see that at all. They were, they were genuinely reflective and thoughtful and sweet, and they came to the arrival almost at the same time. Did you notice that we really don't know what's going to happen? with us or to us, we just know that we're going to be together. And I love that. And that's exactly right. Those of us who are married know nobody has a clue. You just don't have a clue when you're first getting into it. You don't have a clue once you've been in it for a while. Can I get an amen on that? Carrie Ann and I last weekend celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary. We've been married 34 years. Now, even after all that time together, there's only three things I know for sure. One of those things is no married couple should ever do anything together that has something to do with wallpaper. Don't do it. <laughs> the second thing is every house needs two bathrooms, both of them for her. And the third thing is we're going to be together. We know that. When you choose your spouse... You need to marry somebody you can see yourself lying next to in your honeymoon bed and kneeling beside in a hospice bed, both, and everything in between. Marriage is a holy covenant through the whole sweep of life, and you belong to each other through anything and everything. And I mean everything. Listen, the truth is you are going to put on weight. Through the course of your marriage, your hair is going to turn gray or turn loose or both. And you will both sin and fall short of the glory of God. But you're not business partners keeping score with your contract agreements. You are one holy flesh committed to love and to serve each other, not because of what you can get out of it, but because you simply in Christ belong to each other. Today, we're concluding our six-week series on family matters. We're trying to view and engage our family issues through the love of God and the cross of Christ. We're trying to crucify our family values. And over the past five weeks, we have talked together in here about families and marriage and sex and parenting and divorce and how hard all that is. All the issues that we're dealing with in our families, all the problems we have to navigate, and none of that is made easier by the fact that we are, all of us, getting older. Let's be honest, we're, we're all heading down the same trail. The evidence is all around us, and it's undeniable. Every time you look in the mirror, you feel it in your bones. You own it when you ask for the senior discount at Denny's. We're all getting older. We're growing old. In fact, let's, uh, let's just get this on the table together right now, okay? Let's do this. I want you to turn to the person next to you right now. Look them dead in the eye. Look at them very sincerely and say to them, you are never older than you are right now. And you know what? 
That's okay. It's okay to get old. If the Lord allows you to live, you're going to get old. And that's okay. You're still hot. It just comes in flashes now. You've seen it all. You've heard it all. You've done it all. You just don't remember a lick of it. All men go through the same four natural phases of life. First, you believe in Santa Claus. Then you don't believe in Santa Claus. Then you are Santa Claus. And then lastly, you look like Santa Claus. And it happens fast. I think it was Andy Rooney who said, life is like toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes. We're all growing old. And at some point, we're all going to need some kind of assistance. And we're going to need to have the right perspectives and the right attitudes about that. As it relates to yourself, just know the days of trouble are coming. And accept that. Be okay with that. The days of trouble are coming. Turn to Ecclesiastes. I want you all to see this. Okay, Ecclesiastes, right at the end of the 11th chapter, moving into the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's right between Proverbs and Song of Solomon. Listen to the end of, of chapter 11. However many years a person may live, let them enjoy them all, but let them remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Verse 9, be happy, young person, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Now here's chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say I find no pleasure in them listen all of us our bodies are getting older and there's not one thing we can do about it you know when you're young and you have physical issues you know you're going to get better right when you get sick and you're young you just assume that you're going to get well and things are going to go back to normal when you're young and you're injured somehow you just assume you kind of know that you're going to be healed and things are going to come back to normal but as you get older you'll reach some point where the skies don't clear up anymore every one of us is going to reach that age where you're never going to hit the ball as well as you used to and you're never going to get around any better than you're getting around right now. That health condition, it's probably not going to get better. The days of trouble are coming. The author of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, right? Probably King David's son. He describes the aging process here in chapter 12, very poetically, but also very honestly, right? Verse 3, the keepers of the house tremble. That means your arms and your legs begin to lose their strength. The grinders cease because they are few. That just means you start to lose your teeth, right? Those looking through the windows grow dim. Your vision gets weak. Your view gets cloudy like somebody smeared Vaseline all over your glasses, okay? Verse 4, we rise up at the sound of the birds. What does that mean? It means you don't sleep as well as you used to or as long as you used to. You know, you're getting up at the crack of dawn, you're having dinner at 4.15, that kind of thing, right? The songs of the birds grow faint. What does that mean? You're losing your hearing. I said you're losing your hearing is what this says here, right? 
Look at verse 5. We're afraid of heights and dangers in the streets. What does that mean? You become more fearful, irrationally so, like you're afraid of everything. Everything's a threat when you get older. The almond tree blossoms. It means your hair turns white. A lot of us are in full bloom this morning, okay, myself included. The grasshopper drags himself along. What does that mean? You're just moving more slowly and with much more difficulty. Desire is no longer stirred. Well, that's obvious. Your sex drive begins to wane. Probably a real problem for Solomon. The guy had 700 wives, right? That's a unique issue. Might have been the cause of, of that. I'm not sure. But so many of us, we try to deny the realities of getting old. You notice, uh, we always think that people who are our age, we always think they look old, but we don't. Have you picked up on that? Like there's a story about a guy who went to the convention center for his high school class reunion. And he thinks he's found the right room. He goes into the room and he looks around. He's like, this can't be my class reunion. There's nothing in here but a bunch of old people. And so he asked somebody, what, what's going on in this room? And the guy looks at him. He says, well, this is the class reunion for the class of 81. And the guy goes, class of 81, that's my class. And the other guy says, really, what did you teach? <laughs> We're all like this. We deny it. The truth is the days of trouble are coming. For some of us, it's already here. Accept it. Be okay with it. Have the right attitude about it and maintain the proper perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 gives us the right perspective. Verse 16 says, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. Amen? Church, there's a whole lot more going on with you than just your physical health or your body. A lot more important things to pay attention to. The Bible says on the inside, in our hearts and in our minds, deep inside our souls, we're being made new every day in all the ways that really count. Renewed day by day. Church, we're all in the youth group. We should all be sitting right here with these kids. We're all in the youth group. And we should act like it. Can I get an amen on that? We are all being changed by God to love like Jesus. And so the older we get and the longer we live as Christians, the more like Christ we become. You follow me? Right? The longer we live, the, the more we're being worked on by God's Holy Spirit. The longer ago it was that you were baptized, the more like Christ you have become. And so as we get older, by God's grace and by the power of His Spirit, we become more loving and more patient. We're gentler. We're kinder. We're more flexible and gracious. As we get older, we become more forgiving and less selfish, more accepting, more accommodating. The older people in the church are the very last ones to ever get upset about anything. 
The older people in our church are the ones who are the least concerned about their own needs and they're much more concerned with what other people need and what other people want. Why? Because inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And so all of us, no matter how old or how young you are today, we need to remember, all of us, that the real you is too big and way too eternal to be contained in your aging body. So as for yourself, the days of trouble are coming. Maintain the right perspective. As it relates to your aging parents, well, this is where that commandment really kicks in. Honor your mother and father. That is not what we say to a five-year-old that we're trying to get to take a bath or eat his green beans, okay? This commandment is not given by God to young children. This commandment is given to adults to honor their aging parents. Matthew chapter 15 the Pharisees come to Jesus and they are complaining and they are accusing. Jesus, why do your followers break our traditions? And Jesus says, whoa, do not talk to me about your traditions when you use your traditions as a loophole to break the direct commands of God. Verse 8, for God said, these are Jesus' words, for God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if someone says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These Pharisees and others like them were not taking care of their aging parents. They had plenty of money. They had plenty of resources. But they were telling their parents, look, I've already pledged all of our money to the temple building fund. You know, we're, we're saving all of our money for missions month. And so... I'm obeying God. That's why I can't take care of you. And that twisted Jesus off. Jesus is like, don't, don't drag me into your despicable behavior here. Taking care of your aging parents is obeying God. Amen. 10 or 11 years ago, I don't know when this was. It might have been 15 years ago. All of our families were at my mom and dad's house for the holidays. And um, right in the middle of the afternoon, my mom and dad dragged me and my younger sister, Rhonda. They grabbed us too and pulled us into their bedroom to talk to us and show us something. Well, I've got two other younger siblings. It was just Rhonda and me. So as soon as we walked in, well, the first thing that happened was I had some flashbacks because my parents' bedroom furniture is the exact same bedroom furniture they had when I was born. And so they're dragging us in there, and I'm like, my instincts kicked in. It wasn't me. I didn't do it, you know. But I asked my mom and dad as they started it looked like this was going to be a serious talk. I said, why is it just Rhonda and me? And my mom very wisely said, well, you're in here because you're the oldest. Rhonda is in here because she's responsible. <laughs> so, okay, I got it. 
I understand. But my mom and dad took Rhonda and me into their massive walk-in closet in their bedroom where there is a file cabinet and a safe. And they showed us everything we would need for when they die. So like all the paperwork for the cemetery and the funeral home, it's all in there. The will, the living will, the financial information, the insurance stuff, life insurance stuff, all the passcodes, all the security codes. It's all in there. Everything's in there. This is what you're going to need when we die. Now, ever since then, everybody in our family, we refer to that closet as the death closet now. That's just, that's what we call it. If you're at my mom and dad's house and you're looking for a missing game piece or an extra blanket, it's always like, did you check the death closet? It might be in the, and we, we terrorize our younger cousins. We threaten them with banishment to the death closet all the time. But when my parents die, we kids are going to have to take care of some things. And that will be difficult, but I don't think that's nearly as hard as what we're going to have to do over the next 10 or 15 years. One, because I have no idea what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I don't know. I don't know when my dad is going to fall in the shower and break his hip or if it'll be something else. I don't know when my mom is going to realize in the middle of the produce aisle that she's in a place she doesn't know how she got there and she has no idea how to get home. Or it could be something else, but I don't know. I don't know what and I don't know when. But I do know our lifespans today are much longer and there's more opportunity and there's more need to take care of our aging parents and grandparents for much longer periods of time. I've seen the bumper sticker, you have too. It says, be nice to your children because they'll choose your nursing home. But we can't just outsource the care of our aging parents to a third party. A parent's needs are more than just medical. Our parents need our affection and our encouragement and community and family and love. They need all the same stuff that all of us need in every stage of our lives. I don't think any of us would ignore our elderly parents by using biblical loopholes like the Pharisees. But sometimes we assume our careers or our kids are more important at the expense of the very man and woman who gave us our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Listen to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Learn first of all to put your religion into practice by caring for your own family and so repaying your parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Some of you in here are right now taking care of your elderly, aging parents and grandparents. And you know a whole lot better than I do how hard that is, physically, emotionally, financially, socially. It's a very difficult thing. And I know none of the situations are exactly alike. They're all different. Some situations require more money. Some are just gut-wrenching emotionally. Some are actually not too bad. But some of these situations are so tense and so terrible, it feels like almost a daily punishment, like suffering. But it's gospel. Hear me, it's gospel. 
because it's making you more like Christ. It's pointing you to the bigger and eternal realities, and it's reminding you of the things that really matter. Family matters. Your family and the family of God, all of us, together in Christ, we each take care of our aging parents, and all of us together in Christ, we take care of each other. Backing up a few verses in 1 Timothy 5, the first verse says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to the widows who are really in need. Verse 7, give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Some of y'all are in the middle of it. And it's heavy. Some of you are in the very beginning stages of it. And it's weighing on you, you know? How can I do this? How am I going to do this? How long am I going to have to do this? Can I even pull this off at all? Some of you are a lot further down that path and you are being cared for by your children. Your son is taking care of you. Your daughter is providing for you. And you hate it. Your children are honoring you, but it doesn't feel right. You hate being a burden. All right, hold on a second. Let's think about this, okay? Think about you and your children changing his disgusting, filthy diaper, cleaning up her puke, emergency room visits and soccer games in the rain, running up and down the street, teaching him how to ride a bike, saying the Lord's Prayer silently from the passenger seat as you teach her how to drive, <laughs> crying over geometry homework, sitting in silence over a broken heart. You don't want to be a burden. Being in a family is all about burdens right? That's why God gave us our families. That's why he gave us his church to show us that we bear one another's burdens in his power and in his strength and by his grace. And sometimes our burdens are carried by other people so we're not crushed by their weight. Church, that is God's grace. Dependence is not weakness. Weakness is not failure. And failure is never fatal. It's the gospel. And here's why, because we know that God through Christ carries our burdens. One of my favorite lines in all of scripture is at the end of John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his followers on this last night. He's talking to all of us, really. And he says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have, say it, trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but, but, here's the gospel, take heart. I have overcome the world, right? In this family, you will have trouble, but take heart. Be of good cheer. 
Take courage. I have overcome all of it, Jesus says. The cross is where we are saved. And our Lord Jesus walked to the cross willingly. And he willingly suffered and died so you could be saved at the cross. At the cross is where our sins are forgiven. At the cross is where we are restored to a righteous relationship with God and with others. At the cross is where our eternal destinies were secured. And that's where God in Christ reminds us best that family matters. Our Lord Jesus made sure of it that before he died, his mother would be taken care of. In the middle of bearing all the sins of humanity, in the middle of dying for the salvation of the world, he takes his mother and his disciple and he forms a brand new family. Dear mother, this is your new son. Dear friend, here's your mom. Family. Our God often appears in moments that seem desperately hopeless. And I know our families can make us feel both desperate and hopeless sometimes. Maybe you've been abandoned by your parents. Maybe you've got a prodigal child. Maybe you didn't have a choice in your divorce. Maybe your divorce was all your fault. Maybe your dad doesn't appreciate the care that you're providing for him. Maybe you need the care of your children, but they're, they're not coming through. Maybe you're depending on your kids to take care of you and you're having a hard time with it. Maybe there are several layers of people in your family who don't talk to each other. Maybe you don't like anybody in your family. It's okay. Hear me. Your family is going to cause you pain. They just are. But that's okay. Because the cross of Jesus Christ shows us that to love is to suffer. And suffering, hear me, suffering is never a sign of God's absence. It's a sign of God's holy presence. Think about this. The Roman soldiers did not break Jesus' legs during the crucifixion. While everything was falling apart for our Lord, while he was suffering and dying for sins he never committed, none of his bones were broken. Okay, so what? Well, what that shows us is that God was there the whole time. Whatever was happening with Jesus was never going to go any further than God wanted it to. God was in charge. Our Father was ruling over that whole situation in his love and his faithfulness and his power, even in his son's darkest moment. The temple veil was ripped from top to bottom, but the seams in Jesus' robe were not. God is in control. Even through the crucifixion, he is not absent. He's right there. And he gives you that exact same promise. 
the last verse in the Gospel of Matthew. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. I think back to that couple in that, that video that we watched. You know, they're about to get married and they get to see what they're going to look like in their 50s and in their 70s and in their 90s. And uh, it's interesting to me how emotional that was and how surprisingly reflective they were. What's going to happen to us over the next 50, 60, 70 years? I don't know, but we're going to be together. She said, I want to remember to tell him that I love him. Remember that? Hey, remember to tell the people in your family that you love them. Remember the commitments that you've made to your children. Remember the responsibilities you have with your parents. Remember the vows that you've made before God to your spouse. Family matters. And let's remember that church is family. The church is not a collection of families. The church is family. We don't love each other as brothers and sisters. We love each other because in Christ we are brothers and sisters. And remember, we are, each of us, all of us, we are called by God in Christ to be mothers and fathers and to be brothers and sisters and uncles and aunts and grandparents together, called by a family to bear one another's burdens and to share our own burdens with the ones who love us. Our Lord Jesus made it that way at the cross. Amen? All right, here's what I want you to do. We're all going to do this together, okay? It's the last thing we're going to do. I want you to take a ballpoint pen. If you've got a pen in your pocket, you've got one in your purse. If you don't have a pen, you're probably sitting on one, okay? We put about 300 pens in the worship center this morning. It's probably right behind your belt in your chair. I want you to take a pen, okay? Click it four or five times, make sure it works. All right. And I want you to write on your hand. Seriously, I want you to do this. It doesn't work unless we all do it. Write on your hand the name of someone in your family you want us to pray for this morning, okay? Someone who represents a family burden for you. Write that person's name on one hand, and then I want you to write your own name on your other hand. That'll be the challenging part, okay? But that is what I want you to do. I'm not going to ask you to show it to anybody, okay? This is just, just, just for you. But write that name on your hand, that, uh, that prodigal child, your estranged cousin, your ex-spouse, your elderly mom. Where's the conflict in your family? What's the burden in your family? Write their name on one hand and then write your name. I'm trying to do something I'm asking you to do. It's hard. Write your name on your other hand. You should have two names, one on each hand. Maybe your marriage is not in a good place. Write his name on your hand. Write her name on your hand. 
Something happened a long time ago and now there's a wall between you and your sister. Write her name. Your brother won't visit you anymore. Something happened a long time ago. Write his name on your hand. Someone in your family you loved and trusted hurt you in a meaningful, terrible, awful way. Somebody you can't forgive, something you can't let go of. This person in your family represents a burden. Something difficult for you in your family. Write that name on your hand and then write your own name on the other hand. Has everybody done it? Okay, here's what I want you to do. Look at your hands. Look at your hands. Look at the names. And now listen to the word of God from Isaiah 49. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You say, the Lord has forsaken me. You say, the Lord has forgotten me. No, look, see, I have engraved you on the palms of your hands. Your walls are ever before me. Look at your hands and imagine these are God's hands. He knows what you've written on your hand, what you carry in your heart, it's on God's hands too. It's in God's heart too. He knows. And we trust that our God is concerned about our families. And he's working even now to forgive and reconcile and restore. But we also trust his church. We trust this family of God at GCR that we're going to carry each other's burdens and we're going to lift up our burdens to the Lord together. Would you stand with me, please? Here's what we're going to do. I want you to grab hands with the people next to you. Everybody holding hands, smash those names together. Smash them together, smear them up real good. Even across the aisles, let's go. Grab, grab hands across the aisles, smash those names together. Press them in real tight with the person next to you. Are you squeezing? Squeeze those names together. Rub them together. If your hands are sweaty, this is going to be a mess. But here's what a family does. A family lifts up burdens together. So we're going to do that. Pray with me, please. Let's all pray together. Father, you know the names that are on our hands. Because you've told us in your word, these same names are on your hands. You know what's in our hearts. And your word tells us that what's in our hearts is also in your holy, divine, eternal heart. Family is hard. Lord, but you gave us family to shape us more into the image of your son, Jesus. And sometimes the burden is heavy and it seems to be too much. But God, you've given us church. You've made us brothers and sisters. You've made us family under the cross of your son, Jesus. And so we can give these burdens to you today. 
Father, as, as people want to uh, right now, I would say let's lift our hands. Let's lift up these names to you, God. Let's lift up these names to you in the name of Jesus Christ, and let's give them to you. And we beg you, God, today. We beg you for healing. We beg you for forgiveness. We beg you for restoration, reconciliation. God, we ask in the name of Jesus that through our families, in our families, your will would be done just as it is in heaven. We give these names to you. We lift our burdens to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people say together, amen. amen.